This is the week of August 7th in the year 2019. And this is your weekly Kingdom Casts, Podcasts, Spoiler, Review, and General BS Session between Stan and Albert. Do you want to hear conspiracy theories about Mayberry? You're in the right place. Do you want to hear Albert talk more smack about Liefeld? You're in the right place. Or are you simply not getting enough savage barbarians in your weekly comic book diet? Do you want reviews that are heavy with spoilers of the comics that came out this week? Then you're definitely in the right place. We've got some great stuff for you this week. So as always, sit back, enjoy. I'm Stan Daniel, and with me as always is Albert Marsh. So, Albert. Yeah. What's going on? Oh, not much. Not much. No fires this week? Not this week. That's good. That's good to hear. (laughs) I'm glad there's been no pressing emergencies. (laughs) I tell you what, before we get to the comics that were released this week, let's do reader questions first, okay? Works for me. Right off the bat, Eric asks... I'm glad to hear I'm not the only one who is beyond ready to see Tom King's run on Batman end. Do you guys have any potential ideas as to who DC will get to take over the writing for Batman? Or who would you like to see take over the writing? I know I'd like to see Jim Lee doing the art again, even if only for a small story arc. For writing, I would like to see Sean Murphy, White Knight, or weirdly enough, Donny Cates. All right, Albert, if Tom King leaves Batman, or when Tom King leaves Batman, who do you want to see take over the writing? They can just cancel it. Yeah, just cancel Batman? I mean, there's only like 700 other Batman books right now. Just cancel just cancel one of them. It ain't going to hurt nothing. <laughs> okay, so you're, you're all up for canceling Batman. Sure. And, and then, you know, DC and Warner Brothers file for bankruptcy two weeks later. <laughs> or, sticks, or, or just to see how much Batman will sell no matter what, stick someone like Scott Liddell on it and see what it does. <laughs> see if it even hurts the numbers. You know, just, just let it go. God. Thank, thank you, Eric, for the question. <laughs> thank you for that setup. I'm with Eric on this. I'd like to see uh, Murphy take it over. I think Sean Murphy writes a brilliant Batman story. Yeah, he's got a, he's got a really good handle on it. I'd, I'd like to see him do more. I wouldn't want him doing double duty with the artwork, cause I but I love his artwork as well. But I really would like to see Sean Murphy take over the writing on the main Batman comic. I'm okay with Donny Cates, too. But if I had to choose between... I'm t- My top choice is Sean Murphy. Basically, please don't let Bendis write Batman, is what I'm asking here. As for the Jim Lee thing, we'd all love to see Jim Lee do everything. I get the sensation that now he's only being brought out for special occasions, aren't you? Yeah, he he costs way too much money to stick him on anything. What do you think? Is this not under his contract? I mean, they're paying well, he him. Can, well, he's already done Batman. He did Hush. Yeah, yeah. And to me, Hush and all of Jim Lee's work, and he's done a ton of great work for Marvel for DC, for his own stuff. I do think Hush is the best thing he's ever done professionally. The way Hush was, he did everything with all the characters that he could do with in Hush. Hush is a very... That arc reads easy because it's a villain villain of the month story. Yeah. 
So once we got to the end of it, Jim Lee just, I mean, there ain't really anything for him left to do on Batman. Well, he did All-Star also. He did All-Star, which came after Hush. And you got to keep in mind, man, Hush was over, it was 20 years ago. Yeah, it, it was before Kingdom opened. Yeah, it was. And Kingdom was 16 years old. Hush is coming up on the 20-year mark. They would have had an anniversary issue or something out. No, it's like, it'd be like 01, 01 or 02 would be the anniversary. That seems 2021 or 2022 or something like that. That seems about right. But I mean, that was a long time ago. You know, kids, you know, there are kids that have grown up and almost graduated high school since then. Yeah, like we don't really think about that based on our age. But yeah, that book, I mean, that's, I mean, there's people that practically weren't even born that we sold that collected edition to that wanted it. That's exactly true. I, I really do get the feeling that Jim Lee is brought out for special things now. Not that Batman's not special. God knows most of Warner Brothers' income depends on Batman, or a good chunk of it at least. Jim Lee pretty much picks and chooses what he wants to do, and as to whether or not he'll come back to Batman, it won't be an extended run. It'll be something that comes out like once every two months or so. Something that really appeals to him on it. Eric asks another question. He says, regarding Batman again, because apparently Eric is hung up on Batman. Yeah, You see, when Eric used to come in the store, I thought he used to have a thing for Zatanna. Mm-hmm. But apparently he's got a real Batman fetish going here. Do you think there's a chance they will reboot the series back to an issue number one again? Has they recently did this to Superman for Bendis to take over? God, I hope not. We're, we're too close to issue 100 to dump it. Look, I'd even be okay if we just did like Detective and went back to normal numeration on it and take everything from the new 52 published forward into account on that. I do not like when they pull the numerical reboot on these books, on any of them. Marvel, DC, I don't care. Unless it's like uh, Hawkeye, something like Hawkeye I'm okay with because Hawkeye runs in seasons. He doesn't have an ongoing. Somebody's got a Hawkeye idea. They tell a new chapter in his story that lasts 12, 14, 15 issues. That I'm okay with. Books like Avengers, Uncanny X-Men, Batman, Detective. Or Captain Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. Jesus, Uh, Captain Marvel. Yeah. Oh, dear God, please stop. I just want them to continue the numeration on. What's your thoughts on that, Albert? At least let that book hit issue 100 and be done with it. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to restart it after 100, I guess I'm, I'd be more okay with it than just stopping it in the mid-70s or on issue 80 and going with it. Yeah, I don't want this to turn into another Amazing Spider-Man where every 15 minutes we jump to a new number one. Yeah, where Slot I, I said, had like six number ones on that book. And then he ended it with number 800. <laughs> Dan no, 801, 801, yeah, 801, that's right. Dan, like Slott. That. Dan Slott went from issue one to 801 on Amazing Spider. <laughs> Congratulations, Dan. All right. Mr. Mitchell asks, how does your 10-year timeline work out with all the Robins Batman has had? Aren't we on a five-year timeline with New 52? Oh, God, no. No, no, no. That'd, that'd be way too, way too short. I thought if, if if you wanted to say it was ten years, here's how you do the robins. Everybody, listen closely. Albert's going to tell us how to do so, the robins. Year one and two, you've got no robin. Mm-hmm. Uh, issue uh, three through six, you got Dick. That's Dick then, Grayson. Yeah, then he turns the Nightwing on on year six. Year seven is Jason Todd, and he dies. 
Year eight. Yeah. Year eight would be Tim. And I guess you'd start year 10 with Damien. All right. That sounds Yeah. It, it, the 10-year thing, based on how many Robins we got, does it, it works more if you say 12 to 15 years rather than uh, 10 years. Because if you just said 10 years, Batman's only like 30. And I always put like Bruce and Clark about the mid-30s. Then Hal and Ollie were not quite the forty. I have always thought that Superman, we talked about a BAFT time last episode. I've always thought that Superman and Batman deserve at least five years more than we give anybody else, seeing they are the two that started the whole thing. I really do think that we should, that Batman's history should always be 15 years ago, and Superman's history should always be 15 years ago. You know, one year more than Batman's history is what Superman should be. I would very much like it if somebody would pay attention to that, because if you took 15 years, you could explain the Robins a little easier. You know, you left out, spoiler, Stephanie. Yeah, but she's only Robin for like a day. She was Robin long enough to start a major gang war. I guess. (laughs) That was Eric. That was Mr. Mitchell. And we've got one from Anna. Anna asks... Or first off, Anna states and then asks, I'm not a fan of Big Bang Theory, and I hate that the normies think it represents us in the comic fandom. What is your opinions on this, and do you have any suggestions for any similar non-direct comedy shows or television shows that show the fandom in a better light? You go with it first. How do you feel about Big Bang Theory now that it's over? Oh, I never cared for that show. Why not? I don't know. I just thought it was dumb. But, but, but Penny. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot of attractive women out there. <laughs> well, she's Harley Quinn now. That's fine. I don't care. I don't like Harley Quinn either. <laughs> so she's kind of parlayed Big Bang Theory into a career as cartoon character Harley Quinn. <laughs> she can keep playing things I don't like. I don't care. Big Bang Theory was always background noise to me, and my point of view on it was I understand why the fans, why diehard comic book people don't like it, but there's a good segment of diehard comic book people that do like it. It was no more nor any less than any other middle-of-the-road sitcom to me. It had the benefit of including fandom stuff in it and comic book stuff in it. And they went to a comic book store, a comic book store that if you look carefully at only sells DC and independent stuff, never do you see Marvel stuff advertised in Stewart's comic book shop. Good for them. (laughs) You know how much easier that would have made our life. if We only got to to mess with Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. We would have, let's say we were kingdom was 16 years old. We would have shut down in year three. (laughs) Marvel is life. <laughs> I guess if you say so. Hey, it was. It's always background noise to me. Now that everybody runs it constantly in syndication, I I like it less. But I was not a fan fan of it. Uh, there was a customer named Daniel who just absolutely despised it. So I went out of my way to make sure that he knew that I really loved this show. It meant a lot to me. <laughs> Which it didn't. I was just entertaining myself. (laughs) The benefit of the Big Bang Theory is exactly what you say, Anna. You hate that the normies thinks it represents us. 
Well, it's drawing the normies into, it's part of the takeover of the comic book culture. It didn't really deify us, but it made it a little more acceptable to people like my mom, who is 70 years old, or, you know, people of the previous generation. It helped them to connect a little more to their middle-aged children and their grandchildren and why they like these sort of things. So I don't think it necessarily hurt anything. I'm not a big fan of it. Now, as for opinions and suggestions on TV shows or streaming shows that are not directly dependent on comic book material like Jessica Jones and The Boys are, kind of similar to Big Bang Theory. Look, I will tell you one sitcom that stands out to me that I love. Absolutely. What? Is Take it a Sein- Seinfeld? No. Well, Sein- all Seinfeld did was have that <laughs> Superman statue in the back. Uh, but Seinfeld, yeah, Seinfeld made a lot of DC Comics and Superman references. Not nearly as many as Big Bang Theory, but he had the Bowen DC Superman on set in the background of his apartment, usually sitting on the black bookshelves behind the couch. But it wasn't Seinfeld. It's Community. I think Community is way smarter. I know Community is way smarter than Big Bang Theory. And Community only got, I think, six or seven seasons. One of the seasons was continued on Amazon or Hulu. But you can watch Community on Hulu now. It handles fandom correctly. There's one entire episode where one of the characters goes into a coma and dreams he's living in a G.I. Joe cartoon. They have the actual G.I. Joes and Cobras. and That was a really good episode, too. All of them are really good. And all of them, in some way, tag different fandoms. There's Dungeons and Dragons episodes, and I just really, really enjoy that infinitely more than I ever enjoyed Big Bang Theory. So I highly suggest Community. What would you suggest, Albert? You know, I wasn't going to suggest anything till you said community, but I think community is probably it. Really? Okay. Yeah. I can't, I can't, because I said so I couldn't think. See, my problem with all this stuff is I like whenever I enjoy something from a hobby aspect or an entertainment aspect, yeah, uh, whether it's comic books, video games, movies, TV shows, the one aspect I hate of all of it is actually the fandom aspect of it. I like comic books because I just like reading comic books. I like the interaction with other people about it. Yeah. But, the, but fandom culture in, in general, I've never been a big on any of that, regardless of what it is. Well, give us give us an example, like conventions. Yeah, things like that. I don't. I just don't. I don't care about them enough. Conventions. If I went to a convention, it'd be you know what? I don't care anything about the cosplay stuff or any any of this other stuff. Like, hey, there's a writer or artist there, and I want to meet them, and that'd be like the only thing I'd really do. I would. Yeah. I would. I would just go there and meet a few people I wanted to meet, and, and that'd be about it. If I if I really wanted to go to a convention. Well, I used to be really big on conventions when I was younger. Uh, when from like 14 years old on. Because, oh my God, that was all. We didn't have the internet. We weren't inundated with it. There were no sitcoms or anything making references to any comic book culture stuff or comic books. Every now and again, we might get a Superman movie or a Superman TV series. Star Trek The Next Generation was the big savior to overall sci-fi comic book fandom. Has I saw it at the time. Then, yeah, I very much enjoyed going to the conventions. But my favorite part of the conventions was not necessarily autographs, although I did get some people's autographs, or all the goodies that you could buy on the dealer's floor. It was the panels. 
it was getting to listen to these people, Stan Lee and Jim Shooter and Chris Claremont on panels. I very much enjoyed that. Of course, I should point out that I also used to buy Playboy for the articles, and I only go to the malls for the escalators. <laughs> As a Rita Rudner joke what? there. Albert. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, where did the escalator joke come from? <laughs> Three people just chuckled to themselves, but not anybody else. <laughs> they're all in their fifties. <laughs> everybody else, everybody else is googling Rita Rudner. <laughs> Next, we're going to make obscure Mash references. <laughs> oh God! You see, Mash. When I was growing up, I liked Mash, but I think I only liked it because it was obligatory to like Mash. Now that I'm an adult, I don't care much about MASH at all. I really don't. And don't get me started on Andy Griffith. Andy Griffith killed his wife, took over the uh, township by becoming sheriff and justice of the peace, and covered up his crime. Ernest T. Bass is the only one that's, that knows the truth, but because of Andy's harassment of him, he's gone insane. I don't understand how nobody saw that in those episodes. Hey, Albert, you want to talk about some comic books now that came out this week? What about Aunt B? Does Aunt B know all this? I, I think there was kind of an Oedipal thing between I don't know Aunt, about that. I think, I, think, I think you're bucking up the wrong tree. <laughs> I also think Thelma Lou used Barney has a beard. <laughs> because her and Helen, Helen went either way. And her and Helen had a thing going on. And the way Helen kept Andy on the line was by constantly failing Opie. So Opie would remain in her class, making Andy think that Opie, you know, there was something mentally wrong with Opie. I think this Barney is... had that one bullet for the day he decides just to end it all. <laughs> well, Albert, I didn't think you could go darker than me on Mayberry, but congratulations. <laughs> Every day he pulls it out and is like, I guess not today, and puts it back in his pocket. <laughs> sits there, sits there. He sits behind the desk and looks at it on the on the desk there and just stares. <laughs> All right, send your hate mail to Kingdom Casts. That's Kingdom C A S T S at Gmail dot com. Hey, Albert, I understand some new comic books came out this week. You want to talk about them? Sure. Well, you start us off. What's good this week? Absolute Carnage number one came out this week, and that was that was that was a real good book. I really enjoyed that comic. Tell me about it. I was I was shocked. I, the The whole hook for me is when you posted your pick of the week on Kingdom Comics Facebook page, and it was Absolute Carnage number one. I thought, well, crap. And I, honest to God, thought I hate this symbiont crap. And all the way through the book, Peter and Eddie over and over again, just without, just unabashedly complain about how they hate this symbiote. Insert bad word here as much as I do. <laughs> so that alone was worth the price of admission. <laughs> what was your take over it? Well, that was sort of it. I mean, the plot's fairly basic, despite yeah. all the craziness of the Venom book, where it's just, well, Carnage is back in town, and he wants all the symbiotes for himself. But yeah, the best stuff in that book is when it's, it's Eddie and 
Peter just being, why why can't we be done with all this? That's the way I felt about the Venom. I was okay with when he first showed up and his first full appearance in Spider-Man 300. I was okay with it because he was, he was scary. He was intimidating at the time. That lasted all of David McElhaney leaving the book. And when David McElhaney left the book, Venom got really weird and good guy, bad guy. Don't know. Eats brains. Doesn't eat brains. That sort of thing. Is the size of Juggernaut. Yeah, is the size of Juggernaut. Isn't the size of Juggernaut. And that back and forth. They could never seem to agree just where Venom was. All they knew was they had a really popular character here. So we got to use them as much as possible. But by the time Carnage came along and by the time female symbiote who is on the Spider-Man ride at Universal, I forget her name. Oh, God, stop this. You're you're just, it's action figure uh, factory. Pump them out, pump them out, pump them out. But this... This is a this is Spider-Man tossed into the middle of a horror story with Eddie Brock who I found Eddie Brock was surprisingly sympathetic in this yeah, book. Yeah, like yeah, I think this is you know, this is probably the best Eddie's ever been written. Yeah, he's got something to him beforehand when he showed up as a bad guy, he had enough to him then to justify his hatred of Peter Parker and where that was going, but now He's got a lot to lose, and he's just trying to quit being a symbiote or being joined to the symbiote Venom. This asks a little bit of you, but it explains everything as you go. This does tie a little into the Silver Surfer book that's been coming out the last couple of months. I do want to say this about it. Stegman's art is outstanding on it, but Frank Martin, the colorist, he deserves an award for this. His work with the colors tell this story just as much as Kate's words and Stegman's outline, art outlines do. Yeah, everyone puts their best into this comic. Like I said, the writing, the pencil work, especially yeah, especially the coloring. Yeah. Uh, is a- absolutely just top of the line on that. Sets the mood. All the characters are perfect. You even get a character in there that I wasn't necessarily expecting. This is one of the pricier comics. But if you're at all a Venom fan or a Spider-Man fan or a Carnage fan or just love a good horror story superhero comic book, you need to pick this one up. Don't you think? I think. (laughs) Okay. All right. So that was Absolute Carnage. Let's go ahead and get something out of the way. Batman 76 came out, and at this point, I think I'm just reading it in the same way people slow down looking at the aftermath of a car wreck. For the most part, I thought this issue was a lot better than the last couple of issues, but the the stuff with Captain Adam and the U.S. government doesn't make any sense at all. I think some people are thinking because of the current atmosphere in politics that they can get away with anything. The government in general is now a bad guy. We can slam on it. But that sloppy storytelling right there. I'll tell you what didn't make any sense to me. The first page is complete bullcrap. Captain Adam being hit by Gotham Girl. And I I wrote this down specifically to ask you, why don't you tell the audience who Gotham Girl is anyway and what her power base is? Cause nobody in the comic book bothers going into that. She, I guess her based. and her her brother, who yeah, was just called Gotham, showed up at the very like, issue one or whatever of, of King's Run. 
their powers were based on being experimented on, but the brother died because he overused his powers, and the girl, the more she uses them, is going to die. And they stuck her in Arkham and used, I think, Psycho Pirate's mask to try to fix her. That's what they did. She was in Arkham, and Batman was trying to use Psycho Pirate's mask to fix her or something, but God, it's been so long ago. Brian Michael Bendis, on his books, has his favorite women to write, uh, Kitty Pride, Jessica Jones. He has his little comic book pantheon there that he likes writing for. I'm feeling that King is by Gotham Girl the way Bendis is by Jessica Jones and the other. You're asking way too much. Gotham Girl's power set is this. She's really ultra powerful. Her and her brother managed to fight the Justice League to a halt in a King-written comic book. Captain Adam, you're not going to, nobody's going to slap Captain Adam like that around. Superman's not going to slap him around like that. You're just asking too much. I also had another question. Did the plot point of Catwoman being convinced to walk away from the wedding, did that ever pay off? I've been reading this and I don't recall a payoff to it other than her showing up in the desert, somehow managing to pick up Batman's six foot four, 205 pound unconscious frame and get him back to her apartment. I guess this arc is to pay off of it. I don't know. That's a but I, I'd put money that King has a uh, Catwoman beat Gotham Girl in a fist fight. <laughs> I'd put money that, that, that he's she's going to beat her somehow. <laughs> she's going to scratch her face and be like, "Oh God!" and, that, and that'll be that. So, so. She's going to scratch her face, and Gotham Girl's going to blow up. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, that's what's going to happen. I will start a GoFundMe to have Dr. Manhattan show up in Gotham and Rorschach every character that appeared in the comic outside of the Robins and Captain Adam. Yeah, and better yet, <laughs> let's start a GoFundMe for King so that he never has to write another Batman comic again. <laughs> now I would pick this book up just to see what the next issue is going to be, and I guess that's the trick. There's a situation one time where one of our friends was wearing a Kingdom Comics t-shirt at a convention. I think it was in Seattle. And Joe Casada was there. And this is about this is about nine years ago. Our friend in his Kingdom Comics t-shirt walks up to Joe Casada and say, and this is after the J. Michael Straczynski run on Spider-Man that ended in Mary Jane and Spider-Man making a deal with Mephisto. He walked right up to Casada as Casada was walking down the aisle and he said, you run, Spider-Man, man. And Casada turned around to him real quick and he said, oh, but did you read the last issue? Our friend said, well, yeah. And Casada said, exactly, and kept walking. <laughs> I kind of feel like that by Batman now. I don't think he's ruined Batman. I just, the storyline. At the end of this, like once it's done, it's done. Yeah. Even if get married like there's no real ramifications of anything going on i actually think that the spider-man mary jane mephisto thing is one of the worst creative decisions ever for a major character in a comic you know what that's an entire podcast by itself i still have flashbacks to having to explain it to people that are outside of comics and would just approach me in public and ask so I tell you what, after we get done with our in-game review and everything else, we will talk about the worst comic, what, what we think are the worst comic book stories ever. And well, I mean, if you, if you think about it, we, we joke about DC always giving Wally crap. Yeah. Spider-Man, they've always given him junk stories like the Clone Saga. I hate the Clone Saga. I liked McElhaney when he was on Spider-Man. He was one of the best Spider-Man writers ever. 
but the clone saga was a three issue thing that was supposed to, was initially supposed to be three to four issues and was going to resolve itself real quick. And that Peter was Peter and everything went on, but the sales bolstered and Oh dear Lord, they had to keep this running. And then they basically wrote themselves into a corner. And instead of killing Mary Jane, they just said, Oh, well, the real Spider-Man is actually Ben Riley, who thought he was a clone. And then they went back and fixed it, where Peter Parker is the actual Spider-Man, because it turns out people don't like being told that the character they've been reading for the last 30 years has not been the character that's the ti- that the book is titled after. Yeah, they do yank Spider-Man around. However, this is just kind of a slow burn with Batman. I don't want to say there's so much going on that you just don't... There's there's no real exposition here. His dad's running around, his alternate reality father is running around shooting people dressed as Batman. Bane's in control of Gotham. There are other things to spend your $2.99 on. Now, our, in the book's defense, yeah. Thomas Wayne is not dressed as Batman. Thomas Wayne is Batman on that earth. There is a difference. On on his native Earth. Yeah. Yeah, on his native Earth. Not in the Batman books Earth, but from his native Earth. Yes, I, I agree. I didn't mean to I didn't mean to disparage that. I'm tired of all these what ifs becoming mainstream continuity stories. I'm I'm tired of King on Batman. So anyway. <laughs> anything to add to it? No, not really, not anymore. Your end game on this is you're thinking that Catwoman is going to kick Gotham Girl's butt. Yeah, well, and she'll probably beat Bane in a fist fight, and okay. Superman will show up, and she'll beat him in a fist fight. <laughs> Shang-Chi will show up, and she'll beat him in a fist fight. <laughs> then Dr. Doom will show up, and she won't beat him. <laughs> All right, what else did you read? Lois Lane number two? Yeah, I did read that. I, I, I like that one better than I liked the first issue. Yes, I did too. I did too. I liked it a great deal better. I don't necessarily think the art has improved any. In fact, there's a couple of panels. The art was really wonky to me. But the draw for me in this is the way they're using the question. Matoya from GCPD. I really like her in this book. Yeah, this was a much better issue than the first issue, I thought. And and I liked the first issue, but I just thought this one was a much better second issue because writing's more solid on it. Rucka got his Got his handle on Lois in this issue a lot better. Exactly. Um, I agree wholeheartedly. I was meh on issue number one of Lois Lane. But the second issue, this has really sold me. This is this looks to be a good comic book now. Yeah, I do think that's worth the money. You go back and pick up number one so you know what's going on. I didn't care for number one as much, but I very much enjoyed this. It really drew me in. Like you said, the writing is much improved on it. And Rucka is a great writer. I love Rucka. But that, that first one just didn't do anything for me this one boom i'm there yeah this one yeah this one was a, a fairly big step up did you read major x number zero <laughs> no so major x zero came out and what it is i guess it had to be in the 90s lifefeld did a, did a two issue thing on wolverine yeah which was pretty much a wolverine versus deadpool story i remember so it's a reprint of that but they just sort of reframed it with some new pages of major x Major X's character design is absolutely terrible. Okay. So they show all these other X's. So there's like Admiral X. There's like Ensign X. <laughs> uh, Wait, you said, you didn't say Enzyme. You said Ensign, didn't you? Yeah, Ensign, whatever. You know, pick a Star Trek. 
rank okay. and slow flapping axe on it. I don't give a crap. <laughs> but it all looks like crappy Micronauts design, something out of micro, Micronauts. It looks awful. <laughs> and also, apparently, some guy trolled the ownership of Youngblood away from Rob Liefeld. Troll? Wait, is that serious? He Yeah, they, they explained it out somehow or another, but based on the way things were wrote up and everything, Liefeld does not have complete ownership of Youngblood. How in the hell? This had to have happened before uh, before Iron Man the movie came out. No, this happened recently. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, so this apparently, is, this is the, a, when you read the stuff, I assume the guy that got it away from Rob is probably just as crazy as Rob. Well, crazy enough to take what could potentially be a multi-million dollar property away, or probably it's, is already a multi-million dollar I'm, I'm property. I'm going to tell you, Youngblood has been around for like 20 plus years. Yeah. Has that comic ever even finished the first arc? No. Not I mean, have, ha, did any Has it ever finished the run? The guy that took it from Rob, if I got it right, is the same guy that scammed Cowboys and the Aliens into being made a movie. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, my God. He was the guy that, if I remember right, if I've got it right, and I could be wrong here, he paid stores a huge amounts of money to order boxes and boxes of that Cowboys Aliens graphic novel. So it'd show up as a hot property, and then he instantly sold it off the film rights. Holy crap. Okay, I tell you what. I think it's the same guy from what everything I read. All right, I tell you what. Let's put a pin in this right now. Let me do a little bit of research into what all you're telling me, and we'll start next week's episode off talking about this with some more information because my wife's former boss was involved on some level with Cowboy versus Aliens. Let me do a little research and read up on the Rob Liefeld. I cannot believe that somebody swindled a comic book property with uh, as recognizable a name as Youngblood. Well, see, the thing is, I don't know. I mean, I believe you, but... Like, apparently, this the contracts, or the way it was made up, was established way back in the 90s. The guy bought half ownership, or, or something weird. Somehow or another, the guy was able to go in there, buy it off maybe somebody else that wasn't Rob. Somebody that wasn't Liefeld. Or, or something like that, and yeah. then didn't... Well, okay, I tell you what. So Rob, Rob doesn't want to mess with it because of a weird split on, not necessarily the, the property on the, as a whole, but who owns certain aspects of the property as far as what they can do with it, or something like that. Okay, well, let's both do our research on it, and we'll start next week's weekly podcast off with the information we've got on it and see if we can add anything to it, because that's a, that's a big deal. Well, I'm moving right along from that, that, that shocks me. So I'm I'm curious about that whole thing. Did you read Savage Avengers number four? Yeah. <laughs> I'm nominating that book for quote of the week this week. It was Venom's quote. After Conan screams out, by Crom, Venom says, who's Crom? He was a space knight, right? <laughs> that was a good line. This book is outside of Diodato doing fantastic work. To me, the main thing I enjoy about this book is actually the interactions between all the characters. Like yeah. Duggan writes this, and, and all the characters play off each other really, really well. They really do. This is a fun book. It's a violent book. It's got violent characters in it, but their interaction, especially in this issue with Elektra and the Punisher, when she snap out of it, Frank, we deal with this later. Right now, people are dying. That really, really good characterization of everybody involved in it. Wolverine's been mostly unconscious or incapacitated the last two issues. I'm beginning to think Wolverine may work best as unconscious or incapacitated. <laughs> 
real quick, back to Major X. Major X, worth the money or no? No, I don't, don't buy that. Okay, but we both agree Savage Avengers is worth every dime. I mean, I just flipped through it real fast, didn't even read Major X, and I, and I felt like I got ripped off. <laughs> I felt like someone owed me an apology over it. <laughs> That's it, Albert. Just keep dancing on that minefield. Yeah, yeah. Savage <laughs> Avengers is, is like, is, is a super fun book. It's really worth the money and time to read it. I agree on that. While we're on the subject of Diodato and his outstanding artwork on Savage Avengers, there was another book that came out this week, Berserker Unbound, number one. Yep, and this one's written by Lemire. Yep, and it's drawn by Diodato. Mm-hmm. So my question is, if someone pitches a barbarian comic book or if someone just wants to do a barbarian comic book, is it prerequisite for Diodato to draw it? <laughs> I no matter what the company is. It seemed is. like Diodato wanted to put his hand in that Conan money real fast, or he wanted to draw Conan. Yes. Seems like he sort of missed out on the Aaron stuff, which was the first stuff they probably set up. Yeah. And then like him and Lemire probably done set this book up. Then they came around and, and was going to do Savage Avengers. And he was like, I'll do that if Conan's on it. So he sort of got, Into he, got the to Conan. Do it, he got, he got to do it two different ways either way. Into the Conan cash barrel. Let me tell you why I think that is. I'm willing to bet that both Lemire and Diodato are in on insider information and that they know that Marvel Cinematic Universe will be doing a Conan movie, Dollars to Donuts. I'm saying they'll announce it sometime in 2021 and it'll be set for 2022 or 2023. But they're going to work Conan into the Marvel Cinematic Universe canon in agreement with the estate that currently owns Conan. No, there won't there won't be no agreement. It's if, if they're gonna well, do it that, out now Marvel. Gonna, gonna, it. Yeah, they're gonna buy that the Robert E. Howard estate if they do anything like that. The Howard estate was not at all happy with the Jason Momoa Conan and right now, let me stop right there. Renee, Kim, all the other Jason Momoa fans out there, think he's great. Love him has nothing to do with him as a person. But that last Conan movie sucked. My impression is the estate might be scared or that the estate would rather Marvel take over the Conan properties, both in movies and comic books, rather than risk Conan failing into obscurity, like, say, John Carter. Yeah, Being under the Disney banner now, they're also going to have more rights or this will benefit them. Whatever deal they've cut, I'm sure will benefit them for years to come because every time it gets close for Mickey Mouse to go public domain, Disney gets that law pushed back and that law being pushed back benefits all owned characters to their respective corporations. This was a smart move all the way around for the Howard estate. I really do think that Lemire and Diodato wanted to get this Berserker Unbound out there to have a little bit of a different take on a barbarian. And this is, he's very clearly Conan. Don't you think the main character in this story? Yeah, yeah. This is, this is also the plot from Beastmaster 2. Oh, is it? The, I never saw Beastmaster 2. Well, I, it, ain't no, it ain't no Beastmaster 1. I, I just... <laughs> was um was Charlie's Angel what was her name that 70s show was she was she in Beastmaster too I don't think she was <laughs> no I don't remember her well, well then to hell with Beastmaster too <laughs> <laughs> the ferrets were hidden ferrets <laughs> well, the ferrets are a draw the ferrets and Rip Torn are what made Beastmaster <laughs> You so know, I, I like Beast that first Beastmaster movie. It's all right. It know? is 
It is 110% pure cheese, and it's great. Out of all the Conan crap they ripped off back then, Beastmaster is the top of the heap on that one. I agree wholeheartedly. At least there was a little twist inside Beastmaster that made it different than a few of the other Barbarian movies. But pretty much the plot is Adventurer comes home, and his village has been raided, and his wife and daughter are dead. So he kills a bunch of people, then he runs off and ends up in a cave, and there's these glyphs on the cave wall. And he sort of walks into one and ends up in what looks like, I think, modern-day New York. Sort of it, it's Central Park, yeah. So it's yeah, the that's plot of Beastmaster 2. I did not know Beastmaster 2 involved time travel. Now I'm going to have to look it up. And I recorded on my... Yeah, it's, the same reason, uh, it's the same reason that He-Man movie ended yeah. up in modern times for, for budget reasons. Oh, it, the He-Man movie was... It was easier to shoot He-Man in Ohio or wherever they shot it around a high a school. school gym yeah. that half the movie takes place in. Exactly. And on the backlot sound stages of previous movies than it was anywhere else. I was about to say, I'm going to go out of my way and look it up and try to find Beastmaster 2 now. But based on your referencing, and I had never sat down to watch this and I never admitted this before. I've never seen Time Cop. So I went ahead and recorded Time Cop since I saw it was on Cinemax or Movie Channel or something last night. And I'm looking forward to that and Beastmaster 2. <laughs> so thanks, Albert. <laughs> I don't see how you miss Beastmaster 2. They used to show it on TBS all the time back in the day. <laughs> I may still have Beastmaster memorized because HBO got its money out of that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. HBO played that one a lot, too. I remember watching that a whole lot when I was a kid. Well, let's go into something funky. Let's talk about your boy, Grant. Yeah, uh, buddy, that's a good-ass that's a good -ass comic. That's what that is. You, you could say that, but I'll tell you one thing that comic book is not, and it's not accessible. <laughs> <laughs> hey it's issue 10 just yeah you need to be you need to be fully up on all of grant morrison's green lantern run and oh dear god it it, it wouldn't hurt just to read everything he's ever written including new x-men in order to try you need to, to you, need, you need to be up on obscure dc characters that sound like legion of superhero names but predate them somehow and all this other jazz my one gripe with this is we've got too many damned multiversal collapses going on at the same time here it'd be one thing if dc had a plan to combine all this into one solution but i i, I just doubt it I, I yeah, really, I'm going to explain the plot because that just make it more confusing to people. No, there's no use in us even talking about this. But if you like Grant Morrison, if you want out there, if you want weird, if you want wild, and yeah, I do. I enjoy this. You like the bit where the one Green Lantern gets on the hippie Green Lantern because he smells weed on him? <laughs> yeah, the Batman. Yeah, Batman. <laughs> the Batman Green Lantern says... Something about don't confirm my stance on, on marijuana being outlawed by screwing this up. <laughs> yeah. I love the whole thing, but it is wackadoo. Do not pick up issue 10 without having read one through nine before it. Just, just don't. And extensive DC Universe fans from the Earth 2 days forward. Earth 1, Earth 2, Earth S. Yeah, you're going to love this stuff. It is it is whacked out, Grant Morrison, unleashed. At this point in his life, there's there's really no point to even approach him with an editor anymore. Just let him do whatever to whoever. So, yeah, both of us think Grant Yeah, but at the same time, Grant Morrison always respected the characters enough. Yeah. To re the regardless of how crazy things got, he was usually always in character no matter what. Yeah, I, I agree. So let's recap here real quick on these last two. Berserker Unbound, worth the money or not? Well worth the money. 
well worth the money. I'm saying if you're a Conan fan and you're just not getting enough with Savage Avengers and the two other Conan books, go ahead and buy Berserker Unbound. Green Lantern, both of us agree, is well worth the money, but you got to be, at the very least, you got to be up on this entire run, right? Now, I'm going to give this away for Christmas presents. (laughs) Hey, read this. It'll change your life. (laughs) Damn it. That boy ain't right. (laughs) Yeah. So while we're still in the area of the weird and wild Immortal Hulk number 22, what can we say about it that we haven't said before? they're they're, They're getting to the end of it. Because you're getting all the gamma characters in one yeah. spot, what yeah. amounts to. But yeah, this is still like the best book Marvel puts out easily. Yeah. And they did make a note in it with one panel that the Hulk went away to fight the thing. And they yeah. don't know why. He just went away. And that was handled about as well as it could be. I think to the benefit of Immortal Hulk, his absence was used as a plot device that they didn't have to have him present for the Betty, Joe, and McGee scenes. His absence helped that part of the story alone, but I still think it's more detracting from Immortal Hulk than it is helpful to Fantastic Four. And my other question is this, although I think it's kind of sort of answered, why would Area 51 in the Marvel Universe be keeping aliens? Other than to like blatantly experiment on or something like that. It's common knowledge on Earth and Marvel, that there are aliens out there. Yeah, I don't know, man. Because Crusher Krill, the Absorbing Man, says, oh yeah, that's where they keep the aliens, too. And I thought, why would they keep aliens there? But largely, it just looks like Gamma Base. If they are keeping aliens at Marvel Universe's Area 51, there's a story in that, in and of itself, that I wouldn't mind saying, so long as it's a good story. Yeah, the only thing I can think of, they'd be like aliens that just don't exist in this universe at all. And they yeah. don't know where they came from or, so, or something like that. Well, I couldn't really see them keeping dead Shi'ar bodies or dead scroll or dead Kree bodies in chambers in Area 51 because, number one, that'd really tick off the Shi'ar, the Kree. They, they'd know about it. Yeah. And so it's got to be really top secret stuff that Captain America and the Avengers haven't encountered or the X-Men haven't encountered. But other than that, we both stand by this. Immortal Hulk's a great book. Well worth the money. Every issue so far, you're saying it's the best thing Marvel's putting out there. Yeah. Okay. I, I stopped short of that. I think it's in the you top two what? best things. It, it'll be, and we'll get to it later, I'll say it's tied with Hickman's X-Men stuff so far. Yeah. Yeah, that's. That, we'll switch that, to, I'll, I'll put it on that level. I'll give you that too. I looked at Invisible Woman number two. I, I'm thinking the whole thing is a pass. You can spend your money better elsewhere. I saw a couple of scenes copied from movies, blatantly copied from movies. I didn't see a lot of originality in the script or anything. So I'm where you were the last review. I'm kind of like willing to pass over this. Yeah. Did you read Future Foundation 1? Future Foundation. Yes, I did. And I was not looking forward to that, but liked it far better than I expected. Yeah, it was a solid read. You know, I I think that's sort of the best way to put it. It's nothing groundbreaking, but it it uses all the characters good. It's well written. I enjoyed the art. It's just a fun. At the end of the day, it's, it's a fun comic. And that's all it really needs to be. Let's compare and contrast Future Foundation number one to Agents of Atlas number one, both from Marvel Comics this week. So you got two number ones out there. Here's my theory on on Agents of Atlas number one. Yeah. 
there's two completely different books there. There's the backup, which yeah. uses the, the old Golden Age characters mm-hmm. that I thought was really well done and enjoyed it. Then there's the, the first story, which I don't, this book is supposed to be meant for the Chinese market. Is it? It, it seems like it because it's You're got s- those. It's got those two Arrow and that other character that they've they've been trying to push a little bit. It's got them in it, and it's just a weird thing with me with when it comes to like entertainment. And, Is this book actually and, being published? Are any of these books actually being published in China? I think the plan. Surely the plan would be to publish them at some point. But I, I keep waiting for some pro, like some weird Chinese propaganda hook on this thing i've seen i've seen versions of major comic books in many many different languages i don't recall ever seeing chinese translations of any marvel comics or dc comics for that this, matter. this this could be what they're trying to do compare and contrast between agents of atlas and future foundation i'm going to say all day long skip agents of atlas and pick up future foundation yeah agents of atlas was just the backup in it yeah it would be yeah. worth it but that first story, that's even even if you take out my weird looking for something that probably ain't there, that first story is just badly written and badly drawn. I'm with you on this. The backup is fine. The backup was easily better than the main story, but I don't think the backup justifies the money for this book. Uh, yeah. It's not nearly as engaging as Future Foundation. And I'm kind of angry because I really used to like Cho, you know, the guy that's now... I forget what they're calling him, Strong Hulk guy. Braun used to, or something? Was it Braun at some point or something like that? Yeah. He, oh, I'm sorry. That's his new name, Braun. He used to be the totally awesome Hulk. And yeah. when Cho first appeared, he was the seventh smartest individual in on Marvel's Earth. He was a really great young character. When he started thinking, they would show the process of his thinking. His run with Hercules during World War Hulk was one of the best parts of World War Hulk, if not the best part. But Amadeus Cho was a wonderful character, and by making him into Totally Awesome Hulk and now not knowing what to do with him and tossing him and Silk. I feel this way about Silk, too. Silk was locked in a room for God knows how long. This is a character that needs her story fleshed out and told more, and not necessarily somebody that's, oh, I'm out, let me put on a costume and run off with a group of young superheroes the, to God knows the, where. The problem with Silk yeah. is that when the, she came out and they just started pushing her, yeah. Spider-Gwen came out, and that was the end of Silk. You're you're absolutely right there. Spider-Gwen was not expected to hit as big as she did, and Silk was really quite interested. Because they were uh, pushing Silk. They did this big thing with there was someone else that got bit by the same spider and they tied it in all that Ezekiel stuff from Straczynski and made a big deal out of it. Then then everyone's like, hey, this spider Gwen's like 10 times better of a character. And that was that. I think both Amadeus Cho and Silk need to be removed from this stuff and explored in better venues than this book is. There's a whole bunch of Z-tier heroes that marvel just wants you to believe are important because hey look we designed a logo for each of their names i don't care it just wasn't interesting future foundation on the other end which i did not expect to like that much if at all it was great or was very engaging very entertaining they kind of lost me with the reveal at the end but only because i was expecting somebody who hasn't appeared in 15 different comics in the last three months other than that i'm in for the hall with future foundation the art was great the art fit 
the story wonderfully, and I love the characterization. Yep. So we're both in agreement. Future Foundation over Agents of Atlas. Yeah, yeah, easily, easily. Yeah, I don't think Marvel's going to have a problem with that because, you know, they're both Marvel books. So Okay, let's see. We've talked about Absolute Carnage is a must-have. Green Lantern is a wild ride. Book of the Week is... I picked Absolute Carnage for our Facebook page, but yeah, the real book of the week is House of X number two. Okay, and let me point this out because a couple of people have said, yes, we know it's House of Ten and Powers of Ten. Listen, if if, if it's a mutant book and it's got an X on the cover, I'm going to call an X. That's pretty much what we're doing here. Yeah, we knew. We read the articles long before the book came out. We got it. We know. But to us, it's still House of X. We understand the X is representative of a ten. My God, this is bigger than just a game changer, is it not? This is a hell of a comic. Issue number two, I mean, this throws the entire Marvel Universe as big as your guesses on where the stories are going. I think you just, I think you can multiply that by 10. (laughs) Because what was revealed about Moira, Moira McTaggart, and this, this affects everything. And Albert, what about the lost decade? Did you catch that? Yeah, the Lost Decade seems to be Hickman being like really not liking Avengers versus X Men and all that jazz and throwing it under, and like really throwing it underneath the bus pretty hard. But he's done it in a way. The way he sets up Moore McTaggart is Moore McTaggart has been. And a we're going to spoil. We'll just say we're going to spoil the hell out of this comic. So. Oh yeah, yeah, we're going to spoil it. I I make the announcement about the spoilers at the beginning of each podcast. Moira McTaggart is set up has she's always been a mutant and her mutant ability is she every time she dies she gets reincarnated with her memories and everything intact has the same parents she just basically goes back and lives her life over again but she's able to make changes to it she's trying to fix the mutant history i guess put the mutant race on the right track through all of it and she keeps failing Exactly. Over and over again. And she's trying to find a way out. And oh my God, he brought destiny into this. The the scene, and it's only a few pages long, of Myra, Destiny, yeah. and Mystique. Yeah. Is is probably the best written thing I've 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 read in a comic book all year long. I mean it That really... whole conversation and everything, especially that stuff with Destiny, is the best writing I've seen in a book all year long. I'm with you right there on that. To those of you that have only been reading comics the last 10 years or so, Destiny is Mystique's lover from the Claremont run of X-Men when Mystique headed up the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. I believe they first appeared in X-Men 142, 141, 142. Destiny is a precog. She could see the future. She was an older woman. To say that they were in love is devaluing their relationship. It really did something to Mystique as a character when Destiny died. But to see them use Destiny like this, and also Destiny has a history with Moira uh, McTaggart from before this, where they, they were kind of psychically simpatico for a story run. This is this is a game changer. Moira McTaggart's ability to go back and change time or change the events in her life looks like she lived through the days of future past reality. She created a different age of apocalypse scenario. She created another scenario where she sided with Magneto and just convinced him nuke everything 
and all of the superheroes and mutants that were left had to go up against him. The way Hickman has set this up to have her ability rewrite not just X-Men history, but Marvel Universe history as well, he could get rid of everything from Age of X in X-Men forward Yeah, just by saying, yeah. That was yeah, the lost can, decade. That was yeah, it. He can, no. he can go through with a scalpel based yeah. on what he set up. And really anything that him or just Marvel in general doesn't want to count that's from an older book, mm-hmm. just it's gone. That's it. Because of Moira McTaggart's actions. And Destiny and Mystique did kill Moira in one of her lifetimes where she had created a cure for the mutant gene. And it, best of intentions... But Mystique and Destiny and the Brotherhood were not going to allow Best of Intentions to lead to the ultimate extinction of mutants. Destiny does tell Moira that you don't have an infinite amount. You maybe have 10 or 11 lives. Now, that's one character saying something to another one, so we don't know if that's actually what's going to turn out, that she only has X number of lives, or if she could have more than that. But right now, she appears to be the causality of what's going on in the X-Books. Yeah, and there's a, a small little thing he puts in there that says... If your mutant ability is that you just go back and you relive your life over again and get to change everything, Mm -hmm. there's that little nugget he puts in there that says, if you die before your mutant ability takes cold, you're you're gone. Yeah. And that could be what life 11 is. That could. That could. We know. We we don't. Because right now she's on like life 10, I think. Because there's charts and files. It's a Hickman book. There's a a lot in this book. But it's entertaining to read. Usually when they go into extended exposition, it's just because they don't want to pay an artist extra to write pages. That's not the case with what Hickman's doing with these charts and layouts. He's giving you timelines, he's laying it clearly out for you before this is over. This is going to be an entire Marvel Universe situation. I think so as well. I don't know if what the end game of it is. And for all we know, once we get past the Powers and House book, all this could be resolved. And that's why the, the book spinning out of this look different than what we've got. We don't know. One word about this book, excited. I'm excited for the X-Men. I'm excited to see where it's going. I'm excited by this comic. I'm looking forward to this, House of Ten. Powers of 10, House of X, Powers of X, every week now. And at the beginning of it, he also puts a little note up there letting you know, look, you can't just read House of X, House of 10 by itself. You've got to read the companion book, Powers of, as well. Yeah. And we've been saying that all along. Yeah, Hickman's knocking it out of the park on that. It's well worth your money. Go back and pick up the previous issues of Powers of and House of if you haven't already. This could end up impacting the entire Marvel Universe. But like you said, Albert, he's created a situation here where he can take a scalpel to the history there and remove bits and pieces of it. And I keep trying to figure out where he's, where he's going with all of it. And I just... Outside of him just allowing himself narratively and story-wise to pick and choose, like it is, it is a book. You just you don't know where it's going at all. On this, I don't want to know where it's going. I want him to tell me. Yeah, I mean that's the. Th- I, and, and another thing is, I love I love his use of the Sentinels in this issue. Oh yeah, yeah, that was that was outstanding. That entire lifetime, more was spent killing the Trasks family and the descendants to try to ensure that the sentinels are never created and it doesn't matter the sentinels even without the trask family yeah like they explain yeah. it is that ai is something that's artificial that, intelligence it's, it's there he, he he calls it a discovery 
Yeah, not a creation, a discovery. So, so and it, it doesn't matter. It's it's going to be there no matter what. She can't stop that. Hickman is off the charts with this book. He's, like I said, I'm just excited for it. That should round out our weekly review. I know me, you, and Allison Marceau are supposed to sit down sometime this weekend and get your valuable insight on Avengers Endgame, the movie. <laughs> Are you excited about that, Albert? What if Endgame is not a good movie? Well, we'll never know because it was, Albert. I don't know about that. <laughs> so we'll try to have that out, that special Endgame review and recap out sometime next week. And we got a few other things up our sleeves. Albert, you got anything you want to say? No, not really. Okay. I've said well, enough. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe you have. <laughs> We greatly appreciate it. Our base is climbing each week, so clearly y'all are sharing us with friends. Please continue to do so. Rate us a five out of five stars. You know, Give us the highest rating you can because that really does help us. We're both very grateful to all of you for listening and tuning in each week. There are other things coming down the pike, not just the podcast, the website as well. Follow us on Facebook as Kingdom Comics. Email us at Kingdom Comics at gmail.com or kingdomcasts, C-A-S-T-S, at gmail.com. Any questions or anything, we usually make three to four questions a week, whatever we have time for. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Albert, talk to you later. See you, see you. Y'all take care.